Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I'm going to talk for a few minutes about marriage in the Bible because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but marriage is the main theme of the Bible. Now, when I say that to people, often people are extremely surprised by that and they, they want to argue with me. They want to say, no, marriage is not the main theme of the Bible. But I want to show you today that marriage is the main theme of the Bible, the main thing. You say, Greg, why do you think marriage is the main thing of the Bible? There's so many other things in the Bible. Why would you say marriage is? The first reason is that the Bible starts with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. And in the middle, it's all the work that God did to cause the first marriage that was messed up to be fixed so that we could have a happy marriage at the end of the Bible. The whole Bible is about a marriage plan that God had at the beginning and then he fixed it because it was broken and it happens again at the end. So in Genesis chapter 1, it says God created them male and female in his, in his image. Men are not in God's image. Men and women together are in God's image. And it says, Jesus quoted that verse and he said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let man not separate. So it starts with a wedding, Adam and Eve. God brings a couple together and it's, he does it to show his image. He says, I want to show my image to the world and to people and it's a male and a female and I'm bringing them together to show people what I am like and to show people my heart for the world and for humanity. And then at the end of the Bible, in Revelation, we're going to see a few verses, which I'm going to read a little bit later, which talk about this. But you may be here and you may say, I'm not married, or I was married and I'm not planning to get married again. Or for various reasons, people say, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get married. I want to say to you, you are not half a person and you are not a second class citizen because Jesus Christ, our Savior, was never married and he was the ideal human. He was the perfect human. So marriage is a picture of God, but singleness is not a bad thing because God can use you as a single person in a spiritual way to show his, your relationship with him as a marriage, a husband and wife, but also to bring others to him. And so God can do it in a spiritual way, even more than in a physical way. But let's look at the physical side of things first of all. It starts off in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is quoting, and he says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. And God has joined them, let man not separate them. For this reason, because God was making people in his image, he said, let's have marriage. But people messed it up. The relationship between Adam and Eve wasn't messed up, but the relationship between humans and God was broken. 
And so all through the Old Testament, a recurring theme again and again and again, God says, I want to be a husband to you. Let me read you a couple of these verses. Isaiah 62, verse 5. It says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isaiah 54, verse 5. Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Jeremiah 3, verse 14. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. And then Hosea, there's a whole book in the Bible called Hosea where God chooses a prophet called Hosea and he tells him to marry an unfaithful woman because God is wanting to show a picture of how he is married to Israel even though they are unfaithful to him. And in chapter 2 it says, And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. You shall know the Lord. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who did not obtain mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. God was all along wanting this loving relationship between him and his people and marriage is supposed to be the picture of that. That's why Christians make such a big deal of marriage. Because it's not a human invention, it is a picture of God and his people. And if we mess around with that picture, we are misrepresenting God to the world. And that's why we are passionate about marriage. And we protect marriage. And we talk about marriage because marriage is the most vivid illustration of God's relationship with us. Song of Songs is a beautiful book in the Old Testament talking about uh, husband and wife. But again and again, the picture of Jesus and the church comes through Song of Songs. And then Jesus comes along. And he says a couple of interesting things. In Matthew 9, verse 15, Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. Jesus called himself the bridegroom. So God in the Old Testament calls himself the bridegroom. Jesus comes and he calls himself the bridegroom. And then he told a couple of parables. In Matthew 22, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he invited people and they didn't come. So he sent out his servants to get everyone and anyone from the streets, from the highways and the byways, and said, Come into the marriage supper. Come and have a party with me. My, my son is getting married. And that is a picture of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the bridegroom. In Matthew 25, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who took their took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them had oil in their lamps, five of them didn't, and when the bridegroom arrived, some of them were ready for him and some of them weren't. And Jesus was talking about himself. He said, I'm the bridegroom. Even though he was never physically married, he says, I'm a picture. It's so important that you see this relationship between God and man is like a marriage. 
Just as an aside, can I tell you what the Jewish marriage custom was like? It's very similar to African customs and some Pacific Island customs. In Jewish custom, the father would say to the son, here is the bride price for the woman that you're going to go marry. And the son would take the money and he would go and they would become betrothed by him paying the price for his bride. And betrothed meant that they were committed to each other. It's more than our modern notion of being engaged. They were actually committed, even though they had never consummated the marriage, and even though they'd never had the proper marriage ceremony, they were betrothed because he'd paid the price for her. And then he went back to his father, and he built a house for his wife. And that usually took about 12 months. But the bride, even though she's betrothed to him, she doesn't know the exact time when he's coming back to get her. And so it's this big kind of exciting um, secret. When is he coming? When is the bridegroom going to come and get me? And she's got to be ready all the time. At any moment he could come. And when he comes, just as he's arriving, there's a loud, either a shout or a trumpet call. And, and they say, the bridegroom's coming. And suddenly she gets herself ready. And that's why the ten virgins with their lamps, that's what that parable's all about. Some are ready and some are not. And then he comes and then they have a massive big party, the marriage supper. And he takes her back to the place where he's built for her. That is what Jesus was talking about again and again and again in his parables and even in his main teaching in John 14 verse 2. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would tell you, I'm going there now to prepare a place for you and I will come back and get you. It was husband talk. I'm your husband. I've come to pay the price for you, my precious bride. The price is my own body broken on the cross. My blood poured out. That was the price that he paid. Then he's gone back to prepare a place for us and he could return at any moment. You see, in our modern idea of marriage, we miss that. We don't understand how precious the marriage idea was to God. And then it's clarified in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands just as the church submits to Christ. And then it says, this is a great mystery. He says, I'm talking about marriage between a husband and wife, but actually I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the church and Christ. Marriage is the most vivid picture of God and us. And then we get to the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 19, it says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings. Can you imagine the scene? This is now at the end. So the bridegroom came. Jesus came. He loved and wooed us. He courted us. He showed us his love. He paid the price with his own body. You know, just as Adam and Eve, Adam's side was ripped open and a rib was taken out and Eve was made for him. Jesus' side was ripped open and blood and water flowed out and the church was born and prepared for him. He paid the price with his own life. Then he went back and prepared a place. And in Revelation, it tells us about the wedding ceremony that is to come. 
any moment. It could happen today, could be in a hundred years, I don't know, but it could happen today. And it says, a sound like the voice of a great multitude saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And these are the true sayings of God. And then right at the end of Revelation, the very next chapter, sorry, chapter 21. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the dwelling of God is with men now, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That heart cry from God from the very beginning is realized at the very end. And those of us who have seen the bridegroom come, who have realized the bride price that he's paid for us, and who have given our hearts to him, and then who have waited faithfully and are ready for his coming, we go into that wedding supper and we rejoice with our husband forever. I've just got a couple of practical things that I need to say as a result of this. Number one, can I ask you directly, is your relationship with God like that of an excited bride with her husband or of a bored, formal, routine religiousness? It's a simple question. What is your relationship with God like? Can you imagine a bride and his and his wife who are engaged. Can you imagine them getting ready for the wedding, which is what we as Christians are, getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Can you imagine them talking like this? Oh, thou dear husband, we beseech thee. Oh, thou Lord, thank thee for thy blessing. Can you imagine? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. There's a passion, there's a reality, there's an excitement, there's a relationship. There's hormones flowing and blood pumping. And there, you know, the things we'll do when we're engaged. I bought a broken down car. I drove halfway across Africa. It broke down four times. I pushed it across a border post. I hitchhiked for 400 miles just to sleep in a squash court all night so that I could get a glimpse of my bride when she was working the night shift in a hospital as a nurse. I slept in a squash court for a night. There was nowhere else to sleep. I found a squash court. I found the door was open. I slept there so that I could see her for a few minutes. Why? Because I loved her and I still do. Friends, if your relationship with God is not alive, you've missed the point. 
There were five virgins out of the ten virgins who had lamps and thought they were ready for the bridegroom, but there was no oil in them. You know, when there's no oil in a lamp, when you light it, it still burns, but it burns with black smoke and it smells horrible. But when there's oil in the lamp, when you light it, there's a clear, pure light and it's a beautiful thing. You can tell if you are one of the five virgins without oil because it's just black smoke. It's just your self-effort. There's no joy and purity and life in there. When you worship the Lord, is it routine? Are you just saying the words because someone else tells you to? Or is there a passion coming out of your heart for Christ? And if you don't know Christ today in that way, we would love to pray with you at the end of the service today to introduce you to this bridegroom. And you say, how do I know if I'm married to him? How do I know if I'm part of this bride who's going to go and be with Christ and have the marriage supper of the Lamb? How do I know? I've been at church. I've been christened, baptized. I've done all the things. My name's been on lists. How do I know if I'm part of the bride of Christ? The way you know is the same way that Andrew and Kerry know that they got married today. They remember the day when they said vows and they meant it. And even if their feelings get murky in years to come, in 50 years time, when they're saying, oh, my brain's going a bit, did I get married? They'll remember. I remember that day. I remember the day. Friends, you can remember the day today. We would love to pray with you. And you will simply say, God, I promise to love you, honor you, cherish and obey you. For better, for worse, sickness and health, for richer, for poorer, forsaking all others until death brings us together. That's how you know. And then lastly, I just want to tell you that it is a covenant not a contract that they have made today. A contract is a human agreement where one party agrees, I will do these things, and the other party agrees, I will do these things. I have duties and I have rights or privileges based on a contract, and if you break the contract, the contract's broken, and the law of the land comes in and says, yes, you've kept the contract or you've broken it. That is an earthly contract. Marriage is not a contract, it is a covenant. And the difference between a contract and a covenant is that contract is purely human. Two humans or two companies with an earthly government enforcing it. Whereas a covenant is supernatural. If uh, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says, a cord of two strands... Two people are better than one because they can keep each other warm, they can help each other. But then it says a cord of three strands cannot be broken because when God gets involved, it's no longer just two people trying to make it work. The third strand is God himself and that is a covenant where he knits and unites them together as one in spirit, not just in body, not just in mind, but in spirit. He joins them together. And that's what's happened today. It's not just a human agreement. God got involved. And there was a third strand in this rope that was formed today. And it was God. 
in 1 Samuel 18, it says that Jonathan and David made a, con a covenant with each other. They were brothers in the Lord and they loved each other so much. They, they said, here's my shield, here's my spear. They said, if you need protection, I will protect you. Whatever wealth I have is yours, whatever wealth you have is mine. They, they made a covenant and it says their souls were knitted together and they were covenanted to each other. And so when Jonathan died later, David found his last remaining relative, a little paralyzed boy called Mephibosheth, and he took him in and he became his own son. That's what a covenant is. It's when God knits two people together. In Joshua chapter nine, the Israelites made a covenant with a nation, a deceiving nation called the Gibeonites who knew they were gonna get destroyed by the Israelites. So they came and they pretended to be from a faraway land and they said, make a covenant with us. And Joshua made a covenant with the Gibeonites. And the very next chapter, the Gibeonites get attacked and God makes the sun stand still for a whole day so that they can protect the Gibeonites because a covenant involves a supernatural God, not just two human parties. That's the power of a covenant. And that's what they've done today. 500 years later, in 2 Samuel 21, the Gibeonites are being oppressed. And King David goes and says, Lord, why are we having a drought for so many years? And God says, because the Gibeonites, you made a covenant with them hundreds of years ago, and somebody's oppressing them, and I'm protecting them. A covenant God protects, and God moves heaven and earth to look after forever. And that's what's happened today. And if you are here, and you're in a marriage that is struggling, I want to say to you, call on the third strand of the cord and say, God, move heaven and earth. God, protect this covenant. God, get involved. Bless our marriage. Because he will. And then my last verse is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. It says, He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. What that means is that you today and I and we as a body can marry God and become one spirit with him. Not two spirits close to each other, not just two spirits that are in relationship. No, God's spirit and my spirit become one. And all of his protection becomes my protection. All of his blessing becomes my blessing. His name becomes my name. His wealth becomes my wealth. He is my husband and all of my dirt and sin he takes away. Jesus became sin so that we could become righteousness. I'm going to encourage you today. Don't miss this opportunity to be in this marriage relationship with the king of the universe. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.